This is potentially extraordinarily costly and was totally avoidable. I mean, it is really regrettable that, uh, that this, this is a huge failure of American public policy, and it didn't have to happen. That's John Snow. He was President Bush's Treasury Secretary until a couple years ago. And I'm Adam Davidson, NPR's international business and economics correspondent. This is the Planet Money podcast, where we try and take the confusing economic issues of the day and make them, well, make them a little less confusing. I am in Charlottesville, Virginia. This is uh, Tuesday, September 9th, just a couple days after the rescue of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. And I came here. I flew here actually at the last minute on Sunday because there is a conference of former finance ministers from around the world, and we'll be talking to a bunch of them shortly. In each case, I asked them, what does Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac mean to your country? By the way, I'm tempted to give a full explanation of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, but that takes a while. We have a lot on our blog at npr.org money. Here are the highlights. These are private companies, or they were until Sunday, uh, created by the U.S. government, though, but they're not government agencies. They were created with a mission of uh, providing liquidity to the housing markets and making it possible for more people to own homes in America. They've always been a very odd organization, uh, private profit-seeking companies trying to get money for its shareholders, and at the same time, they are trying to promote a public mission. There are many people who think this is untenable, who who think the idea was a bad idea from the beginning, back in 1938. John Snow is very much one of them throughout his uh, time as Treasury Secretary. He tried to kill them both. He tried to convince Congress they were horrible, dangerous organizations. He failed. Now, it's not the job of the United States government to, uh, to, in effect, orchestrate a large hedge fund arbitraging the, the low interest rates the government makes available. That's not how private enterprise is supposed to work. And the, these entities were, uh, were able to get the private gains from that arrangement, uh, but the losses we're always going to come back to the taxpayers. Now, our that, system, makes, that seems ridiculous. Yeah, well, our system doesn't work well, where the, the gains are privatized, uh, but the losses are borne by you and me and John Q. Public as the taxpayers. Now, that's what's got to end. And the incentives that the management of these entities had was simply to borrow and borrow and borrow and become bigger and bigger and bigger and play the hedge fund gain with the taxpayers um, at risk. You know, it just just is not uh, appropriate to have the taxpayers uh, uh, holding the bag for private managements. Uh, you know, we, we just can't let companies become too big to fail. We've got to find a way to prevent this too big to fail from coming into, into play. And... Uh, uh, one way you do that is to make it clear that the government isn't going to stand behind entities. Because if we make it clear we're not going to stand behind these entities, then the managements will be much more disciplined. I mean, what, what happened here or they'll is, be out of a job. is a failure of risk management. But you can understand how, how you take more risk as if you think you're not going to bear the consequences. This is the classic example of what the economists call moral hazard. Uh, the risks lie with somebody else you get the gains. That's a bad formula. Imagine you had Fannie and Freddie collapse and the U.S. didn't step in. The U.S. didn't protect them. 
What would that be like? Well, you, you, you can ask these finance ministers around here, former finance ministers, there would be an awful lot of frowns. Uh, there'd be a state of disbelief, actually. I mean, this, this Secretary Paulson did what he had to do. It's inconceivable. It's inconceivable. It's inconceivable we wouldn't stand behind that paper. Would that have been the most damaging thing in history to the U.S. economic financial? I don't know about history, but it would have been, it, it clearly would have been, had far-reaching uh, implications uh, for the U.S. and for the whole global, global economy. The bankruptcy of uh, Fannie and Freddie would have made Armageddon, would have made... Uh, what do you mean Armageddon? A meltdown of the financial system. The global financial. Yeah, of the global financial system. Standing right next to Treasury Secretary John Snow, former Treasury Secretary, is former Finance Minister of Italy, Domenico Siniscalco. He, I should note, works as a senior fellow at Merrill Lynch, uh, the company that advised uh, the Treasury Department in the takeover of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. It's one of the cases where market cannot look after itself. So uh, too bad we ended here, but at this point it was the only option, I believe. What would have happened in Italy if Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac went under? Well, I cannot even think about that. I would imagine big jumps in the rates, tremendous uh, impact on confidence. So I'm not talking Italy, I'm talking Europe here, would have had uh, very, very negative repercussions. I don't understand why. We're talking about two companies that underwrite mortgages in the U.S. Why does Europe care so much? Is it because Europe happens to own a lot of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac debt? No, not only because, I mean, if uh, Fannie and Freddie would have disgracefully failed, uh, the impact on the U.S. Uh, rates and capital market would have been uh, substantial with immediate repercussions on the, on the Italian bank. Suppose we own uh, U.S. Treasury, as we do, or suppose we own... Uh, uh, U.S. firms, as we do, that the repercussion would go through the channel. So you don't need to own sp- anything by Fannie Mae or Freddie exactly, Mac? Exactly, exactly. I mean, it was too huge, uh, too big to fail, no doubt. They are too big to fail. Everyone tells me this. They're too big to fail. So I don't understand what that means. I mean, that doesn't mean they're too good to fail, obviously, because no. they were run pretty badly. It, it, too big in that, in that they were ubiquitous. Everyone held their assets. They were enormous. Let me cut in here real quick. That's Tim Adams, former undersecretary of the Treasury for the United States. He basically was America's chief financial diplomat. And uh, I've known him over the years, uh, a really smart guy. And this is the most... Uh, hyperbolic, the most extreme I've ever heard him talk. Uh, Let's get back to his explanation of the size of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and why he sees them as too big to fail. Think about a portfolio that's $5 trillion. That's half the size of, of the U.S. economy, a large fraction of the global economy. So when you have something of that magnitude that is so systemically important it can have a, an important effect if just even small variations in their price. But just to let them go would have, I wouldn't say cataclysmic, but you run the risk of near cataclysmic set of conditions. Describe cataclysmic. What would that be? How would my life be different? How would life on the UVA beautiful campus be different? How would life be different for the average person? Right. Well, the, the global economy has run on credit, and that means for a campus like this, it's student loans. It's the, the university that borrows to fund expansions and buildings for hospitals, uh, for businesses that, that provide services to this university. Or any city, the municipality will buy. Absolutely. The you know, Charlottesville Municipal uh, uh, Borrowing Authority 
credit markets would seize. Uh, would, would, would seize up. Would, you mean the mortgage industry would seize? I, I would think it would be across the board. I think there would be so, uh, if, if they were to collapse, there would be such a systemic uh, uh, a set of conditions that credit markets generally would either stop functioning or the price that you would have to pay to borrow would be so exorbitant that people would stop borrowing. And if you can't borrow, you can't run your business, you can't go to school, you can't run a university, you can't expand, and therefore the economy stops. The economy stops. We are built on credit, and that's what runs the economy. It's what runs the real economy. It's what every businessman, every businesswoman gets up every day. They need, they need credit to just run their daily operations, just cash flow, or again to expand. Without access to credit, the economy seizes. I mean, it just stops. If they were to have collapsed, it obviously would directly affect mortgages, but it would affect confidence broadly, and the system runs on confidence. And if confidence dissipates, then the system goes with it. So Fannie Freddie collapses. Is it Great Depression bad? Is it late 70s bad? It's hard to describe because of what other events might uh, occur as well, but it, it would certainly be the event of our lifetime and probably be felt for a very long period of time. Decades. Uh, at least, yes. Yeah. It's scary, which is why uh, Hank Paulson really had no choice. And it was a matter of not if, but when. And uh, he did what he had to do. And it's not, it's not a popular move, but it was one that had to be taken. But it still remains to be seen what ultimately are done with them. And that's really to the next president. It has not really impacted upon uh, institutions in India. This is Yashwant Sinha. Obviously, he is the former finance minister for India. uh, Your colleague from Italy told me that Europe, it would be an apocalypse. It would be Armageddon if Fannie and Freddie were to fail. India is not like that. No, no. I think in India we have learned the lesson to hasten slowly. We, We managed to insulate ourselves from all the global crisis by and large. But now that more and more integration is taking place, some impact is inevitable. So we are trying to be as careful as possible. Does Kuwait care if Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac collapse? Uh, You know, Kuwait will not be affected directly. This is Dr. Youssef Hamad El-Ibrahim. He's Kuwait's former minister of finance. Uh, It's a a bit troubled and a bit troubled of the magnitude of, of the crisis, the financial crisis that's facing uh, the U.S. market and the, in the, the world market. And uh, during this period means that there's really other uh, fault lines in, in the system that needs also to be fixed. It seems that, you know, uh, there are still, we didn't reach the bottom, as I said, and I don't know if this will lead us to see a light at the end of the tunnel. What they did this week. Yeah, I hope this will, will help. And, and this will not solve the problem, but at least I hope it will lay you know, uh, down the, the road to, to survive this crisis. Inshallah. Inshallah. <laughs> All right, I was just showing off my Arabic there. Inshallah. That means God willing in Arabic. I also got a chance to talk to Ali Alawi. He was Iraq's first post-Saddam finance minister. No, that's actually not true. He was Iraq's first post-Saddam trade minister. Later, he was defense minister and later finance minister. Does um, Fannie and Freddie affect Iraq? Not on the surface, no, because we're not really integrated into the world financial market. Uh, The only way in which we're connected is through 
holdings uh, of the central bank. But the central bank, as far as I know, has no, no, no uh, uh, quasi-government debt. They hold treasury bills and bonds, but not, uh, not Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac or whatever. It wouldn't be the biggest problem for Iraq right now. No, it not, will not be our biggest problem, no. You have other problems. Yes, yes, more, much more. <laughs> much more serious for us. Probably the guy at this conference who spoke the harshest, at least in the language of finance ministers, about the United States was Peter Costello from Australia, former finance minister. He's still in the parliament there, but now in opposition. I think for uh, such a long period of time, the U.S. was a force for stability in global markets. Here is an example of the U.S. actually exporting instability. Thank you for listening. Again, I'm Adam Davidson with National Public Radio. Please go to npr.org slash money. We have a lot of information, links to other pieces of audio, to writings, to photos, to all sorts of things that help you, we hope, understand the global economy. Please let us know how we're doing. Does this help you understand? What could we do better? Global economy at npr.org. We really want to make this work. So please do give us advice, give us thoughts, give us feedback. Thank you. That is, uh, you've had um, uh, failures in the subprime mortgage market in the United States that uh, people have bundled instruments up on the basis of that and sold them around the world, and those failures have now been exported around the world. And uh, this has been a problem of regulation in the United States, and until the U.S. can work through this, uh, it will affect global financial markets. I mean, a year ago, you thought of the U.S. as, as the bedrock, solid foundation of the global economy, and now you don't? Well, well the U.S. has uh, always been the world's largest financial market. And uh, for most of the period uh, of the 20th century, exported capital. Now it actually imports it. And a lot of the imported capital uh, has actually uh, been lost in the subprime mortgage situation. So we took the rest of the world's money and lost it for them. Yeah, essentially the way it worked is that mortgage originators uh, made bad loans. They then on-sold mortgages, which were bundled up and sold to U.S. institutions, but also institutions around the world. When those, uh, when those, inst- when those um, collateralised mortgages went down, institutions around the world lost money. Did Australia lose money? Oh, yes, there are uh, financial institutions in Australia that have, uh, that have lost money, but fortunately... With a um, well-regulated financial system, none of our institutions has failed. Are we a weaker country today than we were a week ago? Look, look. the, the U.S. is still the largest economy in the world. Um, it has the largest and deepest financial markets, but uh, those markets have had a big stutter. Are we less important? I don't think uh, the U.S. is less important, uh, but... In the global uh, economy of tomorrow, other players are becoming more significant, particularly China and India.